Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Piper. Great job. Um, good morning, everybody. It's um, great to be back with you again. Um, yeah, just sharing the word with you. And um, I've just been reflecting how um, it's been so different doing it like this and um, having church like this. And, and it's almost becoming normal watching church online, whether you're watching on your computer or on your TV screen. But at the same time, it's been kind of different and Phil sort of intimated that we're kind of longing to get back together again. And that's true. But I did want to say that I've really actually seen that God has blessed us in this time, that we've been blessed seeing different people on our screens, different people share messages. The last couple of weeks, we've had Joel and Bill Bosco. We've had some fantastic words from God. We've seen people lead us in worship, in reading. And it's kind of been nice to just recognise God blessing us as a community through that. And um, whilst I too, you know, I'm a social being, I really want to get back together with you guys. I didn't want to do that without acknowledging just how much God's blessed us and how much God's done for us in that season, in this season. And um, I hope that that's been true for you as well. It was really great seeing the, uh, the worship team lead us this morning. And just with the emphasis on Pentecost you know, today is a special Sunday. It's Pentecost Sunday. It's when we remember that, that you know, God kept, you know, was true to his promise and he gave us what we need to live life, fruitful lives for him. What they needed, the early church, to launch into what we know as the church today, the power, his presence to do that. And when we remember that, it's kind of exciting that God didn't leave us alone to do this, but that he's with us right now. And he showed that in an amazingly powerful way uh, back then at Pentecost. And that's what we celebrate. So thanks, uh, ladies, for helping us to see that and allowing us to worship in that, in that way as well. And um, today I want to um, take us back into Philippians. And, and Joel kicked us off last week. And I just wanted to say I've really enjoyed reading Philippians. I've been reading it a few times and getting into it. The danger, of course, isn't there's a whole lot in there and I'd love to be preaching on it for a whole lot longer. And, you know, both Joel and I have reflected that um, getting these sermons down to, you know, getting our thoughts down to a few key thoughts has been a challenge. But at the same time, it's been enriching to be able to see what God has in his word for us. And um, this then is the second uh, message in our short series on Philippians. And Joel set us off last week, didn't he, with a great picture of Philippians as a book in which Paul, more often than in any other letters, expresses the joy that the gospel brings him and that in it he rejoices with the church in Philippi. And that's his thing. He just really wants to speak to them about how much joy is in the gospel and he wants to rejoice with them in the gospel. And we saw that Paul's relationship to the Philippian church was warm, very friendly. He loves them very much. And we can see that really clearly through the letter as well. In fact, some commentators would say that he had the, the, out of the churches that he wrote to, the, the Philippian church, he had the warmest heart or the, the most intimate heart towards. And there's hints in the language that some commentators would say that in other letters he would use language that would um, sort of signify a father and child or father and son relationship, that he was the father of the church. Whereas in the Philippians, you see much more that he talks about himself as a brother and, as, and, the, and the intimacy there. So it really sets the scene for, for Paul's relationship with the Philippian church. And uh, John helped us see last week that Paul was confident in the gospel, that he, he 
pins everything on the gospel. He's very confident in the gospel and that it is the power to save and it does change lives. And he's seen it at work there. You know, he saw that the gospel changed lives and in, in when he was in the last time when he was imprisoned and he was released miraculously from prison and the, the jailer and his family became Christians. He's seen the gospel at work and he knows that it does have power. And he's seen it in work at work in other places as well. You know, and Joel also spoke to us about how much Paul valued the partnership of the Philippians. He uses that language quite a bit, you know, that that's what he rejoices in, the partnership and um, their partnership. In, 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 of course, he was really, really excited about their partnership in the gospel, but there was more than that. Also practically, and we'll see later on, and I think uh, Joel alluded to it last week, we can see how he was really thankful for the way that they partnered with him practically and took care of needs and, and helped him out, their love and their care. And, and he really admired and, and rejoiced in the unity that they had, that they mostly showed, apart from a few little bits and pieces. Now, all this is written from a prison or his imprisonment. He's not there with them. He's in Rome. But he does hope to come to them. And he doesn't only want to come to them. You know, we think of Paul as the evangelist and this great missionary, which he really was. But I think what we see in this letter, he doesn't only want to come to them for another campaign, a missionary campaign. He will do that because that's who he is. But he also definitely wants to come to them for that connection and intimacy, that sense of, of unity that he feels with them. So there's two things we see here. He wants to come to them to encourage them, to grow them, and, and perhaps even to bring more people into the kingdom. But he yearns for that intimacy and that connection with them. And there's some of that there there as well, which is really nice to see. Everywhere that Paul went on his journeys was for the gospel. You know, we know that Paul, we talk about Paul's missionary journeys. We don't talk about Paul's tourism uh, journeys or enrichment tours or anything like that. They were missionary journeys. And so wherever Paul went, it was for the gospel. That was his passion. He was going to bring the gospel to anybody that would listen. Paul loved many people and many things, but he loved nothing more than Jesus and the gospel. And I've mentioned it before, I think that I've, in, in some of my um, sermons before, I've talked about that for Paul, the gospel was everything. And everything was subject to the gospel. Nothing was to hinder the gospel. Nothing should get in the way of the gospel. There's many good things, and, and Paul admired many good things, but nothing trumps the gospel. And when we think of Paul, that's what I always think of Paul. Paul will do anything necessary to make way for the gospel to come in. And if that means sacrificing something that he likes or, or changing something because it would help the gospel, then he would do that. There's a great example of that with, with Timothy when he first meets Timothy. And they're about to go and, and bring the gospel to the Jews. But the Jews would not respect someone who wasn't circumcised. He said to Timothy, you better get circumcised because we don't want anything to get in the way of the message of the gospel. Um, and that was what Paul's main operating system was. So when he went to a place on one of his journeys, his goal was to preach and to win hearts for the gospel. That's what he did. But then we also see that each time he starts a church, there were three things that featured. And I look back at some of the other letters and they're all there, perhaps not in exactly the same words. But there, there were three things that he would always press a church to do. Um, whilst he was there, but of course, even more so when he was to go away. Three main things, and we see them summarised in the first chapter of Philippians as well, where he says, defend the gospel, 
He talks about the, the churches and the believers to defend the gospel. And we see that in verse 7 in, in chapter 1. Proclaim the gospel and then live lives that display the gospel. And so there's three things that Paul wanted the churches to do, that that should be their main function, if you like, or their main goal was to defend the gospel because wherever they were, they were bringing the gospel sometimes into hostile environments. Proclaim it, keep teaching it, keep teaching it, keep teaching it, and then live lives to display it. Now, this is not the main focus of my message today, but I wanted to share that because it made me ponder how have we as modern-day evangelical churches stacked up here? If they were the three things that, that Paul would say to us, if he was to write us a letter and, and we were to read it out to our church and, and they were the three things that we knew that Paul wanted us to do, how would we stack up? See, often we can uh, be seen stepping up to defend the gospel and, and we might do that really well and it could be on Facebook or it could be in some social setting. But then we mar it by being unloving or controversial. Or we might be notable for and we might have majored on proclamation of the gospel and God honours that. But are we notable or do we major on living lives that display the gospel? Or as Paul says, living worthy of the gospel. It made me wonder and made me think about that. Defend the gospel, proclaim the gospel and living lives. Because why should people believe our defence or take note of our proclamation of a saving Christ if they don't see the fruits of salvation in holy lives? Let me, and, and I ask myself that. and just Let me say that again. Why should people believe our defence or take note of the proclamation of a saving Christ if they don't see the fruits of salvation in holy lives? That might be a good life group question to, uh, to chat about in your life group. But back to our text for today and our section of scripture today that that, uh, Piper read with us. In our first section, there's a few things going on in Paul's mind. In our first section in um, verses 18b through to 27, there's a few things going on in Paul's mind, isn't there? There's a bit of a shift, if you like, but it's still about the partnership and the work of the gospel. And there's a few things that he wants to say to the Philippian church. Paul's rejoicing because he knows that even now in his imprisonment, the gospel's being, being proclaimed. Even now, people knew why he was in prison. It was talked about. The rulers, the people, the judges knew that why he was in prison. And the gospel was being proclaimed even though he was in prison. In fact, sometimes because he was in prison, that just gave, gave light to or gave an opportunity for the gospel to be proclaimed. So that's why Paul rejoices. And he starts off by saying, yes, and I will rejoice. He's just talked about... Um, the gospel being proclaimed, and, and yes, I will rejoice even though I'm in prison. And he hopes that he'll be able to do it well. You know, he, he, he uses the words, you know, I'm, um, that I will not at all be ashamed. And, and those are words that, that oh, you know, I'm just praying that I will do justice to the gospel. You know, that the life that I live or the way that I'm even in imprisonment now or the message that I'll do justice to the gospel. You know, there's a chance that he might not get out of prison and might go array and he may be beheaded. And this thought process makes him ponder what would be best. You know, and then we get that whole section. And I don't know, you've probably read it before. And, and so have I, where he ponders, he, he bounces between what shall I choose? You know, um, if I was to die, I'd, I'd be with Jesus. But if I was to live, then I would, I'd keep working here. And 
you know, I used to think that was weird. Do you think that's weird where he ponders that, where he thinks, you know, should I die or should I live? And when you think about Paul, it's not so weird. You see, dying for Paul wouldn't be so bad because for Paul, life is Jesus. While he's here, it is just about Jesus. It's wrapped up in Jesus. So to actually be with Jesus would be full-on life for Paul, wouldn't it? Yet, he knows it would be better to stay. And you kind of get there. Ultimately, he's convinced that that's what God will do. Have him stay. And so Paul goes on then to say the next bit. You know, He goes on to say, look, I want to come and I will come if I can. I want to help. I want to enjoy your company. I want to see you. I want to encourage you. I want to teach you. But whether I do or not, and then we see those, that first word in, in, in um, verse 27. Whether I do or not, only let your manner. Only. And that kind of word is a, and I often carry on about the therefore word, but the only thing is, is kind of also a stop word. It's kind of a word like, all this stuff could be true, but disregard all that now, there's only one thing. Only. This, you know, focus on this, he's saying. And here's our focus for today. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I might hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So whether I make it or not, I really do want to come and I can't wait to be there and I kind of think that I'm going to get there. But whether that happens or not, there's only one thing I want you to know. I want to be assured of this, that your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Remember, Paul places the gospel and and its advance at number one. And it must have clear passage, no hindrance. And in this section, there are three things that Paul is saying. and, and, And I think these three things are for our attention today as well. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel is the first thing. The way that you do things matters. Paul's saying, you know, look, I might not come and, uh, or I might come, I might do teaching. There might be a lot of stuff coming. But the way you do things matters. So the first thing is living in a manner worthy of the gospel. The second thing is stand firm in one spirit. Did you notice that the word spirit is not capitalized? He's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about spirit in the way that we might use um, perhaps a team spirit. Or a, a togetherness, you know, standing firm in one spirit, like, like being together in that. The same ideals, standing firm in agreement, etc. So living in a manner worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit. Another thing he says, with one mind. Be united, one focus, one goal. I've given you the goal. This is, we know what the goal is. We plant churches for the gospel. Focused on the goal. There's agreement in that again. And we'll see that there's some urgency here because Paul knows that they're going to need this. That these three things are going to be critical because there will be opponents. There will be suffering. Paul is encouraging them to be a steadfast church, isn't he? So the first thing, let's look at living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy. This is really important, and um, this is probably the the key statement in in this section of Scripture out of the three, if you like. 
In the original language, it might have read a little bit like this. Conduct yourselves appropriately as citizens of the kingdom. Let me just say that again. Conduct yourselves appropriately as citizens of the kingdom. You see, the same root word in Greek in the original is used uh, when, when we've translated it, the manner of life, or the Bible translators have done that. But the same root word is the same word as in chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's the same word used in the original translation. Citizens. And that is a, and it should be on the screen there, there's a Greek word, I can't really say it really well, it's politiestai, which has something to do with politics, obviously, because politics are in there and we love politics. And I don't want to boast here because I'm not really great with the Greek. I did look this up. But it's the same word. That same word is used in both those verses. So Paul is talking about citizenship here. And this is important for us to understand. Because Paul was intentionally using that word to help them understand what their new primary identity is. And we'll understand why that's important. Because the word citizen was a loaded word back in those days. It, it carried with it rights, as it does today, privileges. Um, it talked about your identity. You know, I'm a citizen of Rome or I'm a citizen of Greeks. It talked about who you belong to. Because back then when you were a citizen of Rome, you actually belonged to Caesar or you belonged to the king. It talked about where you belonged. I'm from Rome or I'm from wherever. Now, Philippi wasn't in Rome. A little bit about Philippi. Not a big city at all, quite a small city, but it was a Roman colony right in the middle of Greece. Really weird, but um, that's what it was. It was settled by, it was, it was won and conquered by Rome, uh, an enclave in the middle of Greece, and it was settled by loyal soldiers. Um, soldiers that had fought for Rome and had fought battles and won and had been loyal, had been found loyal and perhaps they'd been retired and they were quite high up in Roman society. And Philippi was a small place that Rome um, captured, made its own and that was where they settled all of these loyal people. And think about it like this. Imagine that Australia decided to buy the Maldives for all loyal citizens and they placed them there. I would be happy to be a loyal service person if that was the case, and I'm sure you would as well. But it was actually Rome. So even though it was in the middle of Greece, it was actually Rome. Because once Rome took on a place, it was determined as Rome. And it's a little bit like, if, to understand, it's a little bit like if you go to the, the US Embassy in one of our capital cities, the moment you step through the gate into the US Embassy, you are actually on US soil. That is the United States. Kind of like that. That was Rome. It was in Greece, but it was Rome, Philippi. And there was a lot of pride in that. Philippi was a hotbed of Roman patriotism right in the middle of Greece. It was a patriotic population. Think of the people I just explained lived there. They were ex-soldiers. They were very loyal and they worshipped Caesar. They talked about Rome all the time. Rome was the bee's knees. Rome was the place. Rome was... Progressive Rome was everything. They talked it up, and they lived lives worthy of Rome. They wanted to, to they wanted Caesar to know that they were being worthy of Rome, and of a Roman and Roman citizenship was highly regarded. You don't poo-poo it. You don't trash it. 
You live a life that's worthy. You do not want to cast any aspersion or any shame on the Roman Empire. Now do you understand why Paul uses that word citizenship? Because it has weight. It means something to them. Paul is saying you get the idea of citizenship and loyalty. You know that. You get the idea of displaying proudly who you are. Now let your manner, your citizenship, be worthy of the greater leader, our greater king, if you like, our greater Caesar, the one who saved us. Don't just be Roman citizens that that have now become the Philippian church, but you're primarily Roman citizens that occasionally go to church and occasionally talk about Jesus to anyone that might be interested. No, Jesus is your life. Your citizenship has shifted. It's now different. There's one commentator that put it like this. And he said, We are not just to carry a snapshot of Jesus in our wallet for occasional sharing with chosen people, but to show an enlarged, life-size Christ to all who might look, a Christ displayed in our every dimension and every capacity. And that's kind of what Paul was saying. Displaying Christ, displaying the gospel always. This is what Paul dearly and clearly wanted, and he felt like it was critical for the Philippian church. And I believe as we're reading that, it's critical for us to understand as well. This can change things for us, though, can't it? What is our primary identity? You know, I ask myself and I'm asking you, what is your primary identity? What or who are we most proud to show or to display? Whose T-shirt do we wear with pride? You know, it's a bit of a thing, you know, you know um, in the soccer world, if you like, or in the football world, you know, buying the jersey of of whoever are the best, you know, you'll see all these young boys running around with the name of some famous soccer player. It's not because they really actually believe they are that soccer player. Many of them have dreams that they'd like to be one day. But because they want to be identified with that, that sense of success. Whose T-shirt do we wear with pride? In what or who do we take privilege or position? See, citizenship comes with both privilege and responsibility, doesn't it? Um, I think of myself, I'm, uh, I'm an Australian citizen, I'm actually also a Dutch citizen, I have passports for both. So the privilege of that is if I get into trouble somewhere or if something happens, I can fall back on citizenship. I know that my country will be behind me and they will do what they can to help me. But I could also be called to defend and fight for my country as well. We've seen that in history as well, haven't we? And there are other responsibilities that I have as a citizen. I'm responsible to serve, to obey the law, to self-isolate if I get COVID-19, to, to social distance, to, to follow the rules of the government of the day. As a citizen, I have responsibility to serve, to follow the rules, perhaps to defend and fight, to uphold the values of the country that I declare that I'm a citizen of. Well, Paul is telling the Philippian church and us too to be proud, loud, living, walking displays of the gospel always in all settings. What does that look like in your world? What does it look like if, uh, to be that, to be a proud, loud, living, walking display of the gospel, of your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven? Is it true? Do you do that always? You know, last week, if you were watching last week, Joel talked about just momentarily, he mentioned like, you know, do we 
are we in there boldly or do we kind of shy away because, oh, they're talking about Jesus. I don't really want to, you know, what are we like? Are we loud and proud? Are we out there for, for the kingdom of heaven? You know, would we wear the T-shirt of Jesus? Not in a tacky way for those young people to look in. You see, we're not just members of a church and that's not just a part of the other many things of our life. We don't just believe in Jesus for ourselves and for our salvation so that we have this bit of a warm fuzzy and, and we know we're going to heaven. Our life is Jesus. It's for him, to him. It's about him. It's about his mission, his passion, his plans. You see, citizenship matters. If it doesn't affect how we live, it doesn't matter. But citizenship matters. Paul knew that. He knew that his audience would understand that. And I believe that that's what we are being called to understand as well. And keep in mind that Paul wants us to understand that to live is Christ. Remember his quandary? You know, it'd be better to die, but if I'm going to live, it's going to be about Jesus. If I'm going to stay on this earth, after what he's done for me, it's got to be about him. Everything has got to be about him. It's going to be about labour for him and even with him. And keep in mind also that Paul, and, and Joel reminded us last week, that, that Paul often talks about rejoicing in this gospel and that it gave him great joy to say, my life is Jesus. It is the kingdom. He's a great king. He's a great servant king. So then to Paul, what does this manner worthy Look like? You know, how does this work out? How does he see that in the Philippian church? Or what is he looking for? And, and how can you tell? Another thing that Joel talked to us about last week, and that's in this chapter, is that whole community, that common unity, the compound word. And we can see here in Paul's words, can't we, that one of the major ways that we display our citizenship is in unity, is in a common goal, doing it together. Joining with each other in gospel work, you know, putting our shoulder to the wheel together. And those are the two other points that, that, Paul's, that Paul points to in, in verse 27, isn't it? Stand firm in one spirit and with one mind. And of course, he mentions in there striving as well, doesn't he? You see, like I said before, with citizenship comes privileges. Romans had rights, <clears throat> even though they were in Greece. And they weren't actually in Rome. It was a Roman colony. They had rights. And their rights were above the locals. They were considered special. They could depend on support from other Roman citizens if they were in trouble. Because they had something in common. They could identify with each other. But as citizens, they also had the responsibility to strive for the success, the admiration and the growth of Rome and its influence. <clears throat> you know, Rome didn't want to just stop with Philippi. If they could, they would get... You know, they'd be, they'd be happy to get other parts of the other countries as well. And as citizens, their responsibility was to strive for that. They could potentially stand against opposition together, Romans together. They had the same ideas, the same values, the same mind, and they could meet those goals together. Paul would say to the church in Philippi, and he does say to many of the churches, he says that in often where we read where Paul speaks, that as citizens of the gospel, belonging to it comes with great privileges. Being a citizen of the kingdom of God comes with immense privileges, doesn't it? Salvation, new life, 
eternal life, just to name a few. But that's not all. Other privileges are support, unity, community. Those are privileges of being part of the kingdom too, being part of the family of God. And those things make the responsibilities doable, don't they? When we work together in community, when we have one mind, then the responsibilities become doable. Striving for the growth and expansion and reach of the gospel message, striving for the gospel success, being firm in one spirit and one mind, that would make them strong. However, there will be opposition. There will be suffering. There will be conflict. Loyal and worthy citizens know this and they're found willing. You know, our ex-soldiers in Rome, they knew that. They lived it. This analogy wasn't lost on them. They knew what it meant to have to struggle. They knew what it meant that there would be opposition and suffering to be part, to be a citizen. They were now enjoying the rewards of that. So this analogy wasn't lost on them. Conflict, opposition, suffering was in their history. And it was even a proud history for them. And we know that too, don't we? We look back on our own Western society, wars and history of wars. And we just celebrated Anzac Day recently. And what do we give thanks for? We give thanks for people that, that stood against opposition and suffered because they were citizens, proud citizens of our nation. And they were there to protect it. You know, and even go back further in history, I've often told the story of Garibaldi in Italy when Italy was, was um, an occupied force and, and many thousands of young people gave their lives as patriotic citizens to free Italy. Citizenship can cost. Sometimes it can cost your life. And we've seen that not just in biblical history, we see that in our own history, don't we? And we're thankful for loyal citizens who stood firm and strived side by side with us. Even more recently, we're, we're very thankful for you know, Australians that have stood, be, uh, stood side by side with those that are suffering in bushfires or in other ways. We're proud of the fact that as Australians, we can pull together as citizens of this country. Suffering and striving is part of citizenship, part of the advance of a kingdom or a society. To live as a worthy citizen of the gospel of Christ means exactly the same. Paul was a testimony to that. He lived as a worthy citizen of the kingdom of God and his life was full of suffering, shame, beating, imprisonment, opposition. We just need to read his letters and, and to read Acts to understand uh, the work that Paul went through and, the, and the, the trouble that Paul went through. Gladly. But Paul says we're not to be afraid of opposition. Because our community, our strong unity, will actually reveal to those who don't believe their destruction and how they're on the wrong path. <clears throat> Whilst at the same time revealing our salvation from God. It's kind of like when we stand in opposition together, when we work in unity together, when we live a manner worthy of our citizenship, their eyes will be open and they'll see that, oh my goodness, we're in the wrong path, we're going to destruction and look at salvation but it also reveals that salvation to us as well, doesn't it? Reminding us of the great joy that we have in salvation and in living for Christ. You know, I, I'm not sure that we always that that I always think of it in those terms. I read Paul's language and I think 
Goodness me, this guy was such a saint. You know, he's suffering, he's in prison, he gets whipped, he gets uh, misunderstood. Um, and he says, oh, I'm just, it's joyful for the gospel. I rejoice in the gospel. And I'm thinking, this is not normal. But for him it was because he understood something. There was something greater. And I think I want to learn to understand that more and more as well. I want to be reminded of the great joy that we have in salvation. And that nothing on this earth can ever take away that joy. Nothing on this earth can ever change that. You know, in Peter's letter, it says in the first, in the first chapter, it talks about this a living hope that will never perish, spoil or fade, that nothing on this earth can damage it. How cool would it be just to think of the joy of salvation and allow that to be our, you know, to allow ourselves to rejoice in the citizenship of heaven? Someone once said that anything really worth living for is worth dying for. I wonder if that kind of citizenship is alive in our world as much today. I wonder today if you had someone who said, you know, who's with me? We're going to fight and it could cost your life. I wonder if that lives today. We don't really like suffering. I don't, anyway. Ask my wife. We live in a world where individualism is king. Happiness is most important. You know, we can end up being, more rather being citizens of me and loyal to King me. And suffering doesn't fit into that paradigm, does it? Tim Keller said this, he said, Western secular culture's meaning of life is to be individually happy and free. Suffering takes that away. We don't like that. See, the message for us today is that we're called to let go of kingdom me. Let go of our citizenship to, to anything else or any other kingdom we're loyal to, loyal, loyal to and live together side by side as worthy citizens of the gospel. Displaying the gospel, wearing a t-shirt, displaying the kingdom of God and who Christ is. Because it's who we really are. It's what salvation achieved. It's what the work of Jesus on the cross achieved. It made us citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's who we're saved to be. It's where we belong. Remember I talked about citizenship meant where you belonged and who you belong to. And it might be tough. We might have lots of opposition and you can, you're sitting there and I'm, I'm thinking there's probably many ways that we, we, uh, we feel opposition to the kingdom message. We're misunderstood. We lose status. We, we might lose money. It costs us money. It might mean we relinquish dreams. We... We might not fit into the, the current political thinking or the, the new way of thinking. It might be tough. We might have opposition. But it's also a huge privilege to be citizens of our king. We have the greatest example, don't we? Many citizens of an earthly king might suffer and even die for him. How many are citizens of a king who would suffer and die for them? That's our king. Let me say that again. Many citizens of an earthly king might suffer or might have to suffer and even die for him. But how many get to be citizens of a king who will suffer and die for them? That's a different kind of kingdom, isn't it? Different kind of citizenship. You see, we're citizens of a different kind of kingdom with a very different and amazing king. Jesus suffered. He was imprisoned. 
He suffered injustice. He suffered pain. He suffered rejection even from his father, from people all around him. He suffered separation from his father, from his family, from his followers. He suffered misunderstanding, ridicule, and so much more for me, for us. Because he loved us to rescue us, to bring us in, to make us citizens of the greatest kingdom that ever existed. You see, we're not drawn into this kingdom by our skin colour or by our preference or by having fought a war or by being a loyal soldier or by honouring Caesar or by the right theology or practice. Not even our culture or nationality brought us into this kingdom. We're drawn into, we're invited to be citizens of this kingdom through love, by love. A king that did not want his kingdom to be without us. And in his love, he did what was ever necessary for us to become citizens. That is good news. And now we get to do what's necessary to help other people become citizens. We get to expand that kingdom. We get to tell people how great it is to be a citizen of the kingdom and how we get to expose it and we get to invite them to be part of that kingdom by living in a manner worthy of the great news, the great good news of great joy, wearing that badge on the outside, sharing and telling whoever will listen that a saviour, Jesus Christ, rescued me and is reaching out to rescue you too. And how could we do anything else as loyal citizens? I want to finish with a few words out of a well-known song. You know this song, and it's just about three or four lines. I just want to finish with these lines um, because they say it all. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and now... It's my joy to honour you in all I do. I honour you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for that good news of great joy. Yes, it is great joy. Yes, it is good news of great joy for a broken world. But today it's good news of great joy for me, for us. To know that your love drew me and you invited me to become a citizen of a greater nation, a greater kingdom. One that has eternal effect and has, um, that will go on eternally. And in love that even if I didn't fight a war, even if I didn't deserve to be a kingdom, Jesus, the work you did made sure that there was room for me in the kingdom. Father, help us, Holy Spirit, help us to learn, to see individually for each one of us what it means to live in a manner worthy of that, worthy of citizenship, to be defenders of your kingdom, of you, to be exalters of your kingdom, of you, to to bring glory to you and to show everybody else just the joy of being part of your kingdom, of being a citizen of your kingdom. Lord, teach us how to do that together as a church community, as, as, as followers of, you, of the way together with you. Teach us how to work together in one mind. Just how to work together and be firm in one spirit and one goal to see your kingdom come.
And we say it often that every knee would bow, that every tongue would confess that Jesus, you are indeed Lord and King of all. Teach us what it means, not just globally, not just in, in lovely sayings and lovely words, and, but what it might mean on a Monday morning for me at work <clears throat> or at school or in my relationship or in my family or in the decisions that I'm making around my life. The people that I connect with, what might it look like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Teach me, Lord, how to live it in a real practical way, to be a citizen all the time for your glory. Amen.